Hey folks, how's it going? Jovan Hutton Pulitzer here. Thank you for joining me. I know it's a long weekend and I know how just truly blessed I am to have you join me because most people would be sleeping in. And so I'm glad you're up. Thank you so much for being up and joining the program this morning. I hope you're getting together with family, having a great time. Uh, I think Bobby, my buddy out there, did I see they're doing a wild boar barbecue about to get ready? That's awesome stuff. Normally, what I would do uh, in a normal world is um, same thing you do for 4th of July, uh, but you have cabrito, right? You have barbecue goat. You ever cook barbecue goat? You actually, the way we prepare it is you dig about a four foot hole in the ground straight down the ground, about uh, the size where a trash can lid will fit on it, right? And so you dig about a four-foot hole straight down to the ground, round circle. And you, the night before, you fill it with firewood, set it on fire, and you let every bit of that wood burn down into that hole. Then you have your goat, right? Your goat is, of course not really cut up, it's filled process, which means it's skinned and gutted and everything else like that. And then you take all your seasonings and everything else and whole onions and everything, you stuff it in the cavity of the goat. And then basically you take that goat and you wrap it in a lot of aluminum foil and then you wrap it in wet burlap. So it's soaked in wet burlap. And when you've got that ready, what you do is down in that hole where all of those... Uh, embers now are you take a, another little metal lid kind of like a trash can lid if you have one not an aluminum one it'll melt away but a, a metal one you drop it down in there you set your goat that's in that burlap sack down it on top then you put another literally uh metal disc right back over it and fill it back in with wood again light it on fire, let that burn down, fill it with dirt, and walk away. And then the next late afternoon, right? Next late afternoon, when you're ready to eat, you literally dig the hole back out and extract your goat. And it is the most amazing, amazing, amazing way to eat goat. It's soft. By the way, you can do it with a pig. You can do it with a deer. You can do it with whatever. It's just an amazing way of let it, uh, cooking it in the ground. It's a wonderful time. And it's just a good time to get together. We used to, you know, you're sitting there in the evening. You do it at night. And as you're doing all this prep, you do it in the evening. It's kind of a ritual we had at the ranch. Uh, an oval that was about uh, 30 foot round, right? A little bit ovalish but 30 foot and in the middle of it's all this sand and right in the center that's where we we do that and you sit there it's lined with rocks big old boulders around in the evening you sit there in the evening everybody just kind of sits there and hangs out maybe have a beer or two or three or four or five we used to take jalapenos split them don't take the seeds out don't want to neuter them stuff them with cream cheese and the two halves right put a sliver of chicken in between it wrap it in bacon, score it, and we, and while that fire was going from way down low, we cooked those, we call them rattlesnake eggs. I don't know what y'all call them, 
but let them cook and roast while you're doing it. It was really, really great. It was uh, awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. And it's just great time getting around, get, you know, getting together with family and everything else. And so I hope you're getting together with family. And today's program, what we're going to do is uh, go over the history of, oh, Stephanie says they call them armadillo eggs. Okay, I got it. Um, we're going to go over the history of Memorial Day. Most people don't know where it comes from, what it is, what it stands for. And there's a side of Memorial Day that most people have never heard about. And so to honor those who served in the military, who served to this day, and who have served in the past, we're going to talk about Memorial Day. I'm going to talk about how many of our fallen men and women died in each war and what war. You might be surprised. You might be surprised at the numbers. So share this program. Tell your friends to come on in, take a listen. Let's get going and learning about the complete history of Memorial Day. Cut the crap. How many times a day do you want to say that to politicians, the elite, the loony liberals, the fake news media? In the gender-confused, emotional, socialist, snowflake crowd, cut the crap is your secret weapon for fighting for our freedoms and our great republic. It all begins with a massive mental enema, freeing you from the toxic news and politically correct views, which constipate your consciousness with stinking thinking. Your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer, he's known for calling out politicians and telling them to cut the crap. You've seen him on virtually every television network and listen to him on Coast to Coast Radio. And now he's here to help you learn to fight for America. Culture, race, and American politics, they all have one thing in common. They all need to cut the crap. Now, here's your host, Joe Von Hutton Pulitzer. How's it going, folks? Jovan Hutton Pulitzer. Thank you for joining me. Uh, this is a special, right? It's a special about the complete history of Memorial Day. It's a great morning. Make sure you've got your coffee. I've got mine, French Press. I love coffee. I should do coffee. You know, when I think about it, I really should, since I've had coffee all around the world, I should probably really um, search coffee around the world. Bobby says, which is interesting, curious as to how many have and will die through this stolen election war. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Mary says, hey, Mary says it's our anniversary. Today's the husband, uh, husband's birthday. We always take extra time off this weekend. That's awesome. Congratulations to you. Tell your hus husband happy birthday. Have some good food. I'm doing beef ribs, right? Beef ribs, grass-fed beef ribs. I'm, I'm talking these things are like this, right? Awesome. So... Uh, it's going to be a good day. Homemade potato salad, right? I like new potato salad. What kind of potato salad do you like? Do you make it with mayonnaise or do you make it with sour cream? Mustard? There's a lot of great ways. I, I can't stand sweet pickles. Do you like sweet relish in your potato salad? I'm, uh, I'm more dill. I got to have dill and potato salad. I don't like sweet relish. Uh, 
Jeneline, Jeneline, am I saying that right? To having Turkish coffee like mud. I like uh, coffee internationally. Coffee internationally, if you're sitting in like St. Paul de Vence or anywhere, you know, the French Riviera or whatever, it's completely different coffee than what we think coffee is in the United States of America, right? Um, different. That's I think that's why I like French press. French press only means, you know, you it's, it's the coffee ground, you pour in the hot water, and it's pressed together. You're doing that within about a minute. We have coffee totally the wrong way. You know, we all grew up. How many of you grew up Folgers coffee, right? Juan Valdez and all that other stuff. Did you know that ground coffee we used to get in those red cans was the same stuff that our military drank? Yeah. That ground coffee that used to come in those vacuum-packed cans was created for the United States military. And the average age of that coffee was several years old. That's how Starbucks changed our culture. Why? Because in the United States of America, before Starbucks, it was exceedingly rare for Americans to have great coffee. We stuck to it the World War II way. Now, here's how I learned this. The coffee drinking in my life, and it's relevant to it because coffee was, you know, packed for our, our men and women in battle. And so I guess I was 20, maybe I was 22, maybe. And in my life, coffee was getting up in the morning with my dad, getting up about 3.30 in the morning, getting our gear together to go deer hunting, filling the thermos with coffee, getting in the truck to drive out to the deer lease, get there while it was really still dark, right? And frozen Snickers bars. Have you ever stuck a Snickers bar inside the freezer? It's the bomb. So that morning ritual with my dad, by the way, folks, yeah, I know you, my father's had a stroke and we've been talking about the emergency brain surgery. He is home. He's doing well. He's continuing to do well. But I never, I never, you know, I just thought coffee was that ground. So I always loved the smell when, you know, remember those commercials when it cuts in and aromates the air coming out. Anyway, um, it was fantastic. Just times with my dad, coffee, and frozen Snickers. Now, as a kid, I was a hunting maniac. If it moved, I shot it. I kind of got out of that uh, mode as I became an adult. I will still hunt. It's exceptionally selective. And I prefer the stuff that's really hunting, not where you go to a ranch and they've got them in a pen and you're going to shoot this big old sheep where the hunters know where it is and you pay a guide and, you know, they fed that damn thing and put it out there and it's going to stay there all night because it's waiting for them to come feed it again and somebody kind of goes out there and do it. 
Uh, I've hunt, I've hunted boar. I actually like uh, wild boar tremendously. Anyway, the story was coffee. So I never knew there was anything such as a coffee bean. So I'm about 22 years old. And a fellow came to see me. I, I've had a very interesting career. My career started exceptionally young. And I had just launched an incredibly successful um, product and company. It was the most successful direct response product of all time. And Stanley Marcus came to see me. Now, you might know the last name. That's Neiman Marcus, Stanley Marcus. And he came to see me. Uh, he was already a seriously old gentleman then. And we're in the conference room. And he proceeds to take out coffee beans. Never seen them in my life except in a commercial or a picture. And he pulled out fresh coffee beans that were sealed, opened them, and told me to smell this. Now, funny things is there's some smells that are, you know, that are really great to you. Number one, I love the smell of a lumber yard. I just love walking into a Home Depot and fresh cut lumber. I like the smell of a fresh cut lawn. I like the smell of a, a, a fresh rain, right? I like the autumn smell of when the wind start, the leaves start to fall a little bit damp and wet and come in. I like the smell of coffee when it's fresh. I even like the smell of when a cigarette was first lit. Nothing else, just that first light, right? As a kid, right? Those are all great smells. And anyway, so he educated me on the bean. And he showed me roasted beans, and he showed me cut alfalfa. You're right. Uh, new car smell, you're right. New leather smell. There's so many great smells, right? And he showed me roasted beans, and he showed me green beans. Sulfur smell of a match, exactly right, right when it struck. Um, and then he had little roaster. He brought in everything, a little gas propane thing, and he roasted some of the beans, and then he had this contraption, and he... He ground the beans, and then he had this kind of machine, and it brewed the coffee and it just smelled so wonderful. And I really wasn't a coffee drinker at all. And I could tell immediately that there was a true difference. And this was Stanley Marcus. And so this would have been, let's see. 88, maybe 1988. I'm thinking, yeah. And of course, Neiman Marcus was the bomb, right? And he said, the world of coffee is about to change. And he says, I've seen it. And it is going, it is going to change in a most magnificent way. He may have been in his 80s, right? Bobby says, this is a good smell, liberal panic. There you go. Kind of smells like shit because they shut their pants when they see what we have on them. But that's a different story. And so here's this man, the famous Stanley Marcus, brewing coffee for me and explaining to me the world of coffee is going to change. And he says, I've seen the future. And he had just come back from Seattle, right? And he had been exposed to Starbucks. 
and some of their original, you know, their original Pike Street address. And he was watching it. And he says, I've never seen anything like this, but this is going to change the coffee world because Americans have no idea what coffee really is. And he says, I've had coffee all over the world. Of course, you know, Neiman Marcus was amazing, right? Um, and that's where I learned my education of coffee. And that's where I learned it was made for our troops. And that's where I learned what we were drinking, where, a, you know, coffee should be con, uh, consumed, you know, from the time you make it and brew it when you're doing a real brew coffee. I mean, it should be within that minute you start having it or the oil start to drop down. And I learned that from a commercial standpoint, we were sold something that was sold to our military troops. And number one, I thought, wow, sucks to be our troops. <laughs> and then I realized our stockpile of coffee in the world as Americans was a, an old, rancid, out-of-date, horrible product and that's what we were calling coffee, right? Now, why do I tell you that story? Because I think many times we forget how much the military itself has had an impact on our daily life. It's where we got handy wipes. It's where we got little salt and sugar packages. It's where a lot of the canned goods originally were done and developed from. It was really all this stuff, all these you know, tang, all this different stuff that we have in our lives where repurpose things for the military. And then you think about, about it, we were given our military the shittiest coffee, the saltiest foods, right? The crappiest junk, <laughs> right? And I got to thinking, oh man, we really should take care of our troops more and honor these men and women that have served our country. And I come from a family with a very, very deep military background. And all kinds of people in my family in service, and it ranges everything from Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy SEALs, et cetera. Uh, my great uncle used to run uh, all of the Marine base in San Diego. I mean, a long time. And I got to think, you know, we really don't take care of our those people who have sacrificed their lives or do sacrifice their lives for us, right? And so for me, as I get onto this, one of the things I'm focusing on, a new company and technology I'll be coming out with, specifically what I plan to do is hire and only hire people who have turned out from the military, retired from the military, or people who have turned out and retired as police, sheriffs, firefighters, et cetera. And so it just reminds me that the military, whether you like it or not, has had a tremendous effect on our lives, our everyday lives. Does it mean you have to like war? Most people never experience war, and I, and I hope you never do. Uh, the the heat of being shot at and attacked is surreal 
uh, and you're either one, you're either one or two kinds of person, and you find out really quick. You either freeze, and you're dead, unfortunately, or you literally go into this very surreal hyper fast mode, super fast. And what that high speed film does, it allows you to slow everything down. And it's kind of like even, and I kid you not, it's kind of like in the Sherlock Holmes, you know, the new iterations of the movies where you see everything, you know, it's just in slow motion around you. You can see it coming, you know where it's coming and you got a chance to move. It's literally super high speed. But people, very many people don't realize what our servicemen and women go through to make sure that our country is safe. And there's all kinds of military people out there or government service employees that work hard to keep our country safe. There are people on the books. There are people off the books. There are people that you know are part of the apparatus. There are people that can never be acknowledged are part of the apparatus. And those people work every day whether they're here or deployed anywhere in the world to do one thing, and that's to keep our country safe. Honorable people. I'm not sure our military is there at the moment. It's kind of like our discussion the other day with General Flynn. And yes, we talked about how it's degrading the view of our army. And you, you heard the conversation with Claire Lopez, ex-CIA operative or operator, um, what it does to destroying the image of the USA. So I don't wish anyone to ever have to go into battle. I wish every one of our children would have to do mandatory service, just like Israel. Come out of high school, you're doing two years. Um, I truly think every one of our Children should do that it, just for the discipline, regimen, and ability just to toughen your ass up, which is something we sorely need. But I don't wish battle on people. Battle is the, the blood and guts is horrible. And, and, and sometimes you think, how can people be affected by blood and guts where they didn't get hit or they whatever? But it's it's odd right? It's, it's odd. And so our society has changed a bit. And I think we need to go back to honoring those people who are our military, because I think our whole system's affected. And even though most people, our fighting forces will experiencing some sort of PTSD, I now think maybe for the first time in history, <laughs> All of our civilians are experiencing PTSD. And it's our civilians that have become the warriors. Um, and our warriors who have become woke. Troy, I'm going to put up your comment because I like this. I believe this. Troy says, I think everyone should have to go to the military. I've seen it change drug addicts and criminals into good people. Monica says, we cannot imagine the horrible things of war. I'm, I'm not sure how to explain to you that at one moment somebody's there and the next moment they're gone. 
they're vaporized. I cannot explain to you that moment when a body vaporizes and it's just a weird pink frothy mist. All around you and you're breathing in that person. It's, it's in your mouth, it's in your nostrils, it's in your eyes. I think those, those are some of the things that mess up people. But now I think our government's messed up. And so what I want to do today is I just want to talk about Memorial Day, what it really stands for, something we've lost. My favorite holiday is July 4th. My next favorite holiday is Halloween, but it's now uncool to talk about that. But it's July 4th. But Memorial Day in my book, needs to be amplified. We need to, we need to realize how much blood, sweat, tear, guts, and bones, and diesel, and ammo, and lead, and everything has been put into making our nation safe. Helen, is your birthday July 4th? That is so awesome. Now I even love you more, even if that's possible. It's not possible because I love you to death. That's awesome. Wow. Well, happy for you. Anyway, and so let's talk about Memorial Day, where it came from, uh, why do we have it, how did it start, uh, etc., because I think it's just important to understand where it comes from and uh, why it's here. You know, it was originally known as what's called Decoration Days, okay? And it is something that was started during the Civil War. Now, that's kind of what bothers me a bit because I am terrified of this horrible woke system we have will try to eliminate Memorial Day as something that is racist and hateful. And what they'll try to tie it to is the Civil War. And so let's just kind of go back in time. I'm going to tell you one story most likely you did not know first, but I want to explain why this is so important. And visiting the cemeteries of our fallen is so important if you get a chance to do it. Uh, I have to tell you, I adore cemeteries. If you followed me for years, you know this. I adore cemeteries. And I taught my children this, and I still do it myself. If I ever get a chance and there's a cemetery and I have the time or whatever, especially old cemetery, I'll stop. I'll go in. And I, we, I, I taught my children to set the flowers back up, you know, keep on making them neat. And we make a point of reading everybody's name. Sounds stupid, but it, we make a point of reading everybody's name 
because I realize there are people there, we don't know anything about them. We don't know what they went through, but we do know they were here before us. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for everybody before us. And so we make a point of reading their names because there's so many people out there that have passed that after the time they passed, they maybe their name is never spoken again. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe their name is never spoken again. And that bugs me. So graveyards don't freak me out. Graveyards bring me great peace. And I taught my children, we'd, we'd read the names and rearrange them. And then we played a game to see who had our same birth date or whose death date was our birth date, whatever the case may be. But it's about honoring people. And that's why Memorial Day is so important. But I am uh, concerned with its Civil War ties. It became a official holiday in 1971. Most people do it for family gatherings, like we talked about. There's a lot of parades. Uh, it is what is supposed to officially mark summer has began, right? And so during the Civil War, which ended in 1865, as we go into this today, you're going to find out it claimed more lives in history than any uh, other war we have. And it is what established our nation's first national cemeteries. That's why we have Ar Arlington. And by the late uh, 1860s, towns began uh, holding springtime tributes to these countless fallen soldiers and decorating their graves and reciting uh, prayers. Um, most people think about it as an 1868 event. Um, and if you don't think about the 1868 event, you think about the 1966 uh, event, which the federal government declared Waterloo, New York, the official birthplace of Memorial Day. However, the story is actually a little different, and I'm going to tell you this one first. Um, where Memorial Day truly officially began, the, the, this is going through the archives, the history books, newspaper clippings, or whatever, began in Charleston, South Carolina, at a place called the Washington Race Course and Jockey Club. So those are South Carolinians around, this is your history. Washington Race Course and Jockey Club in Charleston, South Carolina. And during the late stages of the Civil War, uh, the Confederate Army uh, transformed the posh club into a makeshift prison. And in this makeshift prison, more than 260 Union soldiers died from disease and uh, exposure while they were being held in the racetrack's open air field, right? And their bodies were just hastily buried in a mass grave uh, in the grass in the, behind the grandstands. And so when Charleston fell and the Confederate troops evacuated, bad, badly damaged city, one of the first things that uh, people and emancipated men and women of the time and did was they went and exhumed these Union soldiers 
from this mass grave and uh, gave them a proper burial, reinterred them in a new uh, cemetery. And they put up a placard called the Martyrs of the Race Course. And of course, that has nothing to do with critical race theory or racist. It was a race uh, track. So instead of the uh 1868 as most people are told that's the first one what actually happened is on may 1st 1865 um and this was covered in the paper you know the, like the new york tribune and the charleston courier a crowd of 10,000 people now that was a massive crowd a crowd of 10,000 people and if you looked at the density of the crowd, it was mostly freemen, emancipated slaves, and some white missionaries. Freemen, emancipated slaves, and some white missionaries. And what they did is they went and did a parade around this racetrack. And there were thousands and thousands of school children, black Americans, and they sang the version of John's Brown, John Brown's body. That's the traditional hymn you see uh, of the Civil War. And there were some pretty famous regiments at the time, like the 54th Massachusetts and other black union reg regiments. They were there. Uh, they performed double time marches. There was a tremendous amount of black ministers uh, 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 preaching, et cetera. And so this is one of the stories that at the time, because of the divisions of the time, was never really allowed to be told. And so my hope, that's why I said what I said at the beginning, my hope is this wokeness doesn't extend to this very, very, very critical holiday because if wokeness gets to it because it's civil war related, it is going to be these white folks that want to suffer, right? <laughs> and um, that are thinking they're going to be doing something good and they are going to destroy uh, one of the most important events in history that brought pe uh, people together. Um, and so some of these facts of, of what's going on is Memorial Day is how we're going to literally um, take the time every year to just give thanks for the soldiers and what was done and that they gave their lives. You have family members, whether you know it or not, because so many people don't even know their history anymore, that have given their lives for this country. Maybe they weren't in the armed forces, but many, many people died in service of this country. And so it was originally called Decoration Day, and it was May 30th, and that's kind of the way it was, and it parades and flowers and it was to because people still lived around the areas where the battle raged across the United States of America, putting flowers on the graves of their comrades who died 
in defense of their country right here in the United States of America. And those bodies, when you look at it, understand it, and don't go tearing down Civil War monuments, those bodies of almost 500,000 people in the United States, 500,000 people in the United States, are all across cemeteries in the north and the south. And when we take down those monuments, we are spitting in the face for of those who died for this country. Now, I want to put a pen in it right there because I want to explain something. The facts prove this out. The Civil War was not fought over slavery. I know you're taught that. I know you're taught that. But the Civil War was not fought over slavery. The Civil War was a battle for economic power, period. And if you understood your history, the economic power of the United States of America was seated in the South. This is not about what side your family was on or what side you choose. But the economic power in the United States at that time was the South. New York was nothing. It was the South. And it was the shipping in the South and the river shipping in the South and the ports in the South and the vital economy that was created from this product called cotton. And the South supplied all the food for the United States of America. And our rivers were the thoroughfares, Mississippi, Missouri River, everything else. Everything was situated in the South. That's kind of why they make a, a joke, a Gone with the Wind style joke of the South and the Southern Bells. It was the seat of quote unquote civilization. Bumped to the other side to New York. New York was just a rat infested shithole. DC was still a swamp. Now, metaphorically it is now, but then it was a true swamp. And the powers that be were fighting over who's going to control this economic powerhouse. That is what the war was over. That is what the fight was about. What people talked about and what they kind of hung their hat on was slavery. And the states were already getting rid of slavery. Uh, it was already in progress. But that's kind of what the hat got hung on. But don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. It was about power. Even, uh, you know, it was the power of cotton. Most people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this up real quick, so I'm going to hang on. Most people, you're never going to be taught this. But the the patents, the technology, like the you know the cotton gin, um, it was pro Eli Whitney was the, probably one of the most important inventions ever. So think of it today, where we have New York elites and we have Los Angeles elites. Think of it today as if you could put New York up here and you could put this over here 
And if we could just kind of sit in this little area of the South and realize it's feeding the nation and it basically controls all the massive economic wealth, right? That's where the money is. And of course, you know, using LA is not appropriate, it's just a figure of speech, but everybody's looking at this and going, hmm, we got to get control of this. And that's what the Civil War was over. And that's where both sides were wrong. Period. Both sides were wrong. The Republican side was about getting control of power, getting control of the financial and economic engine. The South was saying to the United States, screw this, we're out, we're going to go our own way. And it was going to split America. And they couldn't have that. <laughs> they couldn't have that. And so what you now know is the union was saying, man, if these guys leave us, holy smokes, we'll kind of have nothing. They can cut us off from food. They can cut us off from manufacturing. They can cut about this. And so what you witnessed in the Civil War was a federal takeover. You're exactly right. And so there are many things that aren't taught in history. And so I just want you to suspend for a moment for the Civil War being about slavery and understand at the heart of what drove people truly was at the time a have and have not war and was people that had built a, a fantastic thriving economy and people that kind of felt it wasn't fair and were fighting over control of that economy and where would the power seat be? And that's what it was. And what it got its hat hung on was slavery, which was already on its way out. And it was never as big as you're told. Right. And in the, in the scheme of things was never as massive as you told. Anyway, on the first Decoration Day, which is what Memorial Day was called first, James Garfield made a speech at the Arlington National Cemetery. There were about 5000 people there. Uh, and at that time, there were 20,000 Civil War soldiers who had been buried there. The northern states. You got to remember that that D.C. and Virginia area was still the South. It always puzzled me when I was in D.C. They call themselves Southerners. And as I say, I'm from Texas. You're not a Southerner. But you got to understand it in the confines and context of the Civil War. So there were northern states that had many events. And uh, they kept on doing their events, too. And it was reprised in subsequent years. And in 1890, many states at that time made a, a Decoration Day a state holiday. And all of these things kind of uh, were happening at different days, right? So the northern states would honor their dead one way and the southern states would honor their dead one day. And it was kind of all a mishmash all over the place. But the common thread was honoring those who had given their lives for our country. About World War II, because we had all these separate events everywhere. About one war, war excuse me, World War One, um, it kind of coalesced around one central day. Hey, let's kind of do this 
one central day. And that's what happened in, in, in about World War I. And so Memorial Day, you know, Decoration Day, as it became to be known, was originally about honoring those who were lost in the Civil War. But during World War I, which my own grandfather fought in, he got court-martialed for going AWOL. He got court-martialed for going AWOL for who I'm named after, Jovan, one of his young boys who was dying and got sick. That's who I'm named after. Uh, and they wouldn't let him go to see his son, knowing he was in, flat going to die. And so he said, screw it. <laughs> and he went. And they uh, court-martialed him. And by the way, and I just saw the question, Abraham Lincoln was fantastic. Abraham Lincoln was the great diplomat at the right time. I just want to have this context. It was not about slavery. And people need to understand that. It was not about slavery. And we do not teach the accurate history. But Abraham Lincoln, phenomenal, the right man at the right time. And so what happened is, uh, but during World War I, you know, the United States found itself in uh, another conflict, right? And so the holiday over time evolved to begin honoring all personnel who died in all wars. And then went on to be, you know, World War II, the Vietnam War, Korean War, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And so for decades, it was observed uh, May 30th. And what uh, changed all this up is in 1968, uh, thanks to a the work of a General Logan, but who had kind of selected, hey, let's just do it May 30th. What happened is the con Congress passed what's called the Uniform uh, Monday Holiday Act, and it established Memorial Days the last Monday in May in order to create a three-day weekend for federal employees. And that change officially, officially went into effect uh, in 1971. And so the same law uh, that did this also declared Memorial Day a federal holiday. So that's how we get it to uh, be this uh, last Monday in May. Uh, and that's why it's all across the United States, right? It is all across the United States. And... Uh, it, it was take it was really begin to take uh, hold when people really just started to remember what we've been through. Now, honoring war dead, it was interesting enough. It was and and I'm going to go through this, but it was not about necessarily only things that happened in the 19th century. Ancient Greeks, ancient Romans held annual holidays for their fallen soldiers. They're festooning graves with flowers and public festivals, etc. cetera. Uh, public funerals were held in Athens for every soldier that died. For, and it was an official mourning process, a uh, funeral procession. Um, and the first known public tributes to the dead, specifically in battle, uh, was in 431 BC, and it was an Athenian general statement, uh, Pericles, that literally uh, created this uh, official funeral uh, 
oration praising the sacrifice and valor of those who were killed in the Peloponnesian War, right? And it's interesting, his speech for the Peloponnesian War has been uh, mirrored, and many people compare it to uh, Gettysburg uh, Address. Um, General Logan, who made this happen, um, is just a legend. He'd be like the General Flynn of his day, and it was him honoring his men that uh, turned this into something that we as a, a country uh, needed to do. And so that's the history. Now what I want to look at is, have you ever thought about truly how many we've lost? Now, I'm going to give you some stats and facts. Uh, if you want to write them down, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll replay. Uh, I'm going to replay uh, the new movie selection coming out. It's, uh, it's about a two minute, 15 second uh, movie trailer. Go get a pee pee break. <laughs> or and if you want go get a pen and paper and share these numbers uh, so we can remind people what we're remembering this day. So let's take a quick two minute, 15 second break. Local criminal investigations into Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters' alleged voting machine security breaches continues. If I asked you this question before the 2020 election, are these voting machines secure? I would have said yes. And after the election, I would have said yes. What changed? Tina Peters admits she brought in a consultant to make a forensic copy of the Dominion voting system in Mesa County. I continue to think that our voting machines are too vulnerable. Voting machines in Georgia and Texas switch votes from one candidate to another. Virtually every machine was broken into. Ballot recording machines. Voting machines. 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 Voting machines. Voting machines. 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 Machines, which are vulnerable to being hacked. There is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even rig America's elections. We've seen no evidence that any of our voting systems have been tampered with. The November 3rd election was the most secure. It was the most secure. Most secure. Most secure election in American history, period. The process is very secretive. These machines are built by private companies, which we don't have a right to know it goes on inside those. What did you see during the software update? We've uncovered something that they're afraid of. We didn't consider the machine. The information found there is the Rosetta Stone. They made By a mistake mistakes. and left the evidence in the machine. And you can hide it as well. It's only what the programmer tells to say. It's literally like the difference between going from pickpocketing to credit card fraud. These people are being selected, not elected. It's about who gets to count the vote. Break down my door, terrorize my family. FBI, federal search warrant. What do you remember? Just my mom being handcuffed by the chief of police. This is not what we do in America. You could make it all go away, though. You just keep your mouth shut. You could have your life back. Can't unsee what I've seen. That's going to be great. I was just dialoguing with Lara this morning. Uh, some really interesting stuff. There will be sequels, multiple sequels of this one film. So when you get a chance, make sure you watch it. What we're talking about today is Memorial Day. It's uh, honoring all U.S. Her heroes. 
I think it's an incredibly important holiday and something to remember in the United States. And unfortunately, in our schools, you know that our schools are not teaching the truth and the history, the authentic history of Memorial Day. It bugs me. It bugs me that we don't focus on what's really important. And we have a society that teaches our children. Now, the society has teaches our children that, oh, wow, you're cool, you're great, or whatever. Not because you're a soldier, not because you are willing to take a hit for your country and survive your country. This is now what our young kids think is cool and hip. And, oh, I'm just in awe. It's some white girls in here with their boobs out. I ain't even got to walk in with my tool out. Yeah, I played it. But I played it for a reason because that is what most people are consuming on social media. And you can either waste your time on social media or you can laugh at just the ignorance of it or the ignorance of those people. Or you can remember there are some really good reasons to use social media and all of us be in this together. So let's kind of go through some of the numbers. Uh, I'm going to uh, talk the major ones first. And then for the end, I'm just going to rattle them all off for you because sometimes we don't just remember what's even happened in our own country where we've lost people. So here, here we go. The Revolutionary War. Now, there is some debate on some of these numbers. They'll vary. But I'll just kind of give you the top ones at the moment. The Revolutionary War in the United States of America claimed 4,435 people. The War of 1812 claimed 2,260 people. The Indian Wars, they say, claimed 1,000 people. Uh, I lost family in, in all of those. Uh, the Mexican War here in the States killed 13,283. The Civil War, uh, 498,332. It used to be thought it was 600,000. Uh, they haven't been able to confirm that. So where everybody's kind of settled is 498,332. The Spanish-American War, uh, 2,446. World War I, 116,516. World War II, 405,399. The Korean War, where my father served, 54,246. The Vietnam War, 90,220. The Persian Gulf War, uh, 1,565. And if you kind of put in the, all the little skirmishes for the global war on terror, 6,852. Those are the uh, numbers that of our armed forces that have been lost in the United States of America. Any death is too many. What I'm about to say is controversial. Any death is too many in a war. But when your country's being take, taken over enslaved, It is worth saving to the last standing surviving soul, if that's what it takes, to make sure your country doesn't fall. 
because it's worth everything. I believe this country is worth every life if that's what it requires to make sure evil doesn't take over. And I know that's controversial, but I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm just going to tell you what I think on that. Uh, so American Revolutionary War, you know, uh, I gave you uh, some numbers, but when you take in, see, there's combat numbers, there's others, there's wounded, there's casualties. But if you if you look at them all kind of total, the American Revolutionary War between total U.S. Cavity, ca casualties, wounded, et cetera, there were 66,000 ca casualties, 35,000 uh, wounded. The Northwest Indian War, now the American Revolution, 1775 to 1783. The Northwest Indian War was 1785 to 1796. Uh, it took about, uh, there were about 825, there's about 1,881 people total, uh, 1,000 of those, 56 of those died in combat. There was something called the Quasi War, right? This was a naval battle, right, between the United States and the French. Most people don't know that. It was primarily in the Caribbean, but we were involved, okay? And uh, a lot of people on the East Coast were affected by this. This was 1798 to, to 1800. It had about 556 total U.S. Ca casualties. Uh, 20 of them died in combat. The rest was just wounds and stuff, whatever. Uh, the Barbary War. Do you know what the Barbary War is, again, that we were in? Well, <laughs> most people don't know this. It's called the uh, uh, Tripolitan War, or uh, uh, Tripolitan, 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 Tripoli, like Tripoli, Barbary Coast. Uh, there were two Barbary Wars, and it was a uh, battle, and they do not talk about this, okay? 1801 to 1805. 1801 to 1805. When was the Civil War? 1864. This was fought 1801 to 1805. It was fought against what's called the Barbary States. The United States and Sweden was fighting it. And what we were fighting was the North African states, the Barbary states for what? For enslaving and selling people. They don't teach you that in history. Why? Because they don't want you to think that people were already trying to get rid of slavery and it was already taboo in the United States of America and it was being phased out 60 plus years prior. They don't want to tell you about that. Uh, it claimed uh, all total casualties and everything else was about 138 uh, people. We lost 294 people between the years 1800 and 1900 in the battle wars and skirmishes, specifically for fighting pirates, most of those same pirates. Remember, black people, tribes were capturing and selling black tribes competition reasons, right? Absorb keeping the women, absorbing the tribes and selling the men. That pirated action uh, went on for a very long time and that enslaving of men and women still goes on to the day in the tunes of millions. There was something in 1807 called the Chesapeake Leopard Affair. This was in Norfolk, Virginia, June 22nd, and it was the uh, British fourth-rate HM, HMS Leopard and the American frigate USS Chesapeake, uh, and the Leopard pursued and attacked the American frigate. Uh, 21 people affected in that. The War of 1812, of course, everybody knows that one is Conflict of America. 
and its allies uh, against the United Kingdom and the British North and, and allies in British North America with limited participation by Spain because they were in Florida. It uh, had 20,000 casualties uh, all total of that war. Then there was something called the Nuka Hiva campaign. You ever heard about this one? This was a conflict between the United States and the Polynesian inhabitants of Nuka Hiva during the War of 1812. It's a specific one. And this Captain David Porter decided to sell his fleet to the island for repairs. And when he got there, he was raided by the British. 16 were claiming that. Then there's the Creek War. Um, the Creek War was 1813 to 1814. And it was also known as the Red Stick War or the Creek Civil War. And it was a regional war opposing Creek factions, uh, European empires, the United States. And it took place largely in Alabama and the Gulf Coast. Uh, war. It was the Indian War, 575 people for that one. Then again in 1815, I already told you this was 1801 to 1805 when we're fighting slavery and slaving. There was the Second Barbary War that happened in 1805. It was called the U.S.-Algerian War. It was fought between the United States and the North African Barbary Coast uh, states of Tripoli, Tunis, and Algiers. Y you would know that as more of our Qaddafi, Libya land now. Uh, it literally uh, ended on December 5th, 1815 with a treaty. It claimed uh, 148 people. There was then the first Seminole War. Uh, my grandparents, two generations back, were, uh, you'll, you'll hear the name, the Kennedy Darling Raid. Uh, that is the same Kennedy family that gave us JFK. Uh, in that uh, my grandparents, a couple generations back, were the only sole survivors, or I wouldn't be here. And the Seminole Wars, it was, uh, there were three related military conflicts, Florida and the United States, the Seminole, the citizens of Native American nation, nation, nations. It kind of went on uh, 1700s, 1800s, 1858. It was kind of an uneasy truce period. It claimed 83. Then there was what's called the first uh, Sumatran expedition. Uh, it was the, the Battle of Kuala Batu. Kuala Batu was in 1832. It was a expedition by the United States Navy against uh, Kuala Bati, uh, a district that was there. And it was because of they had massacred some people. This was 1832. We lost 13. There was the Black Hawk War. Uh, conflict between the United States and Native Americans, a Black Hawk Sulk leader, um, the Fox, the Kickapoos, etc. Uh, they were known as the British Band. Uh, these were one, and I'm not talking about the Beatles, but a British band, you know, that, that were fighting with the British. That claimed 390. There was the Second Seminole War uh, that, again, it was another Florida conflict, 1835 to 1842, Florida, United States, uh, etc., between Native Americans and ironically, uh, black, black Indians, right? And it was a another conflict that all going through the same time, ended about 1842, 1,535 people claimed there. 17,435 uh, people uh, claimed in the Mexican-American War. That was the Mexican uh, Intervention Estondadis del Mexico. Well, uh, Mexico was uh, armed conflict between United States and America. 
And that's what gave us the annexation of Texas, 17,435 total casualties. In 1847 through 1856, there was the Cayuse War. Uh, it was between a region of the United States government and some uh, American settlers that, uh, it's kind of misunderstood, but it was a particular people. And there was a huge influx of disease and, and, and stuff in the region. Conflict between the government and every time Guff's trying to clean it up, 115 people. There were the Rogue River Wars. This was a conflict in 1855 to 1856. Uh, it was the U.S. Army, local militias, and volunteers against the Native American tribes com uh, commonly grouped together. They were designated as the Rogue River Indians. It was in southern Oregon. That claimed 498 people. The Yakima War, right? <laughs> It was a war in 1855 uh, through 1858, United States and the Yakima, uh, uh, Saptian people of the Northern Plateau of the Washington Territory. Again, it was allied tribes. It took place primarily in the Southern interior of the United States, 126 affected by that. Then of course, once again, in 1855 uh, to 1858, the third Seminole War, same thing, same thing, and it uh, claimed 53 people. Then we had what was called, and you may not know this, we had what was called the Second Opium War, right? <laughs> the Second Opium War. Opium, hash, heroin, all that other stuff, been around for a long time. This particular one, also known as the Second Anglo-Chinese War or the Second China War or the Era War or the Anglo-Fix French expedition to China. It was a war from 1856 to 1860. And what it did is it pitted uh, the British Empire and the French Empire against the uh, Qing Dynasty in China. We participated in it. It claimed 51. 96 people were claimed in 1858. This is called the Coeur d'Alene War. Uh, it was the Spokane Coeur d'Alene Pinot Orlos Palos War. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, it's kind of the second phase of the Yakima War, and it was an American uh, Indian skirmish. We've gone through the Civil War. You know that. Uh, you know how many people in the Army. The Army, basic, their numbers that they say total, that there were 646,392 total casualties with everything in it. In uh, 1862, there was the Dakota War. It was called the Sioux Uprising, Dakota Uprising, Sioux Outbreak of 1862, Dakota Conflict, U.S.-Dakota War, 1862, or Little Crow's War. They estimate... Uh, 220 to 260 uh, people affected in that one. Uh, uh, the Shimoniski campaign. Now, this was a series of just military engagements from 1863 to 1864, fought where? In the Straits of Japan. And it was uh, by joint naval forces, Great Britain, France, Netherlands, and the United States. And this was where we first were engaging the Japanese for control of the straits. This is why that synthetic island that China has built out there of aircraft is so important. It's one of the fights over that, uh, 10 uh, casualties from that war. Then in 1864 to 1868, there was the Snake War. Uh, we're kind of fighting snakes now, too, to this day, right? We're fighting snakes now. But it, uh, Snake Indians were a particular brand of Paiute or Bannock or Shoshoe bands, lived along Snake River, took place in Oregon, Nevada, California. That was 158 people affected by that. 
Then there was the all-out American Indian Wars, known as the American Frontier Wars, Force Nation Wars, and Indian Wars. You've heard about that one, 1944. There was Red Clouds War. That was Northern Cheyenne. Uh, that was the Battle of the Claim uh, 226. There was, uh, interestingly enough, I just want you to understand, don't confuse this Korean War with the Korean War like my father fought in. This was the United States expedition to Korea. Uh, Korea at the time was known as uh, Shinmayagano Shin Shinmayagano Yo, Shinmayagano Yo, uh, and that's the first time uh, our American military every took any took uh, action is when the Gingagwa Island in 1871. There were 12 affected that. There was the Modoc War. Uh, again, the Modoc campaign, it was the Modoc people in the United States. It was the California, Oregon region. There was 144 affected by that. Then there was the Great Sioux War, uh, known as the Black Hills War in 1876, 525 there. The Nez Pierce, which is the conflict in the United States, uh, again, an American-Indian conflict, 291. The Bannock War, and this was an armed conflict, once again, U.S. military against the Paiute Warriors in Idaho, 67 affected there. The Ute War, that was in 1849, 67 there. The Sheep, <laughs> the sheep Eater Indian War of 1879. Uh, the Shoshone people, Tukadewa. Were known as the sheep eaters because they ate bighorn sheep. Skirmish there, 11 people involved. The Samoan crisis. Now, the Samoan crisis was in 1887. There were 62 there. The massacre at Wounded Knee, you've heard about it. There were 99 there. Uh, the Sugar Point Pillager Band of Chippewa Indians, that was 1898, 23 there. Of course, we talked about the Spanish American War, that was 1898. The Philippine American War, uh, most people don't uh, know about that one, but the Philippine American War or the Filipino American War or the Philippine insurrection, or the uh, Talong insurgency, Talong people, that's there, that's what they speak, Talong. Uh, that's what most Filipinos speak. That was in February, 1889. Uh, to about July 2nd, 1993, that claimed 7,000. There were 7,126 casualties there. There was the Boxer Rebellion. Now the Boxer Rebellion, or the Boxer Uprising, or the Boxer Insurrection, or the Yehidin movement was an anti-foreign, anti-colonial, anti-Christian, anti-foreign, anti-colonial, anti-Christian uprising in China between 1899 and 1901 uh, uh, towards the end of the uh, uh, Qing dynasty. Uh, 335 uh, casualties in that, but America was involved in that. Then there was the Santiago Domingo or Santo Domingo affair, the Santo Domingo crisis. That was in 1904, involved the United States and the Dominican Militia Force, Forces or the Dominican Republic. And it started because there was a death of a, an American seaman on the U.S. Yankee who died. Uh, and there was a skirmish over in 1904. It affected two people. And the American occupation of Nicaragua from nine, uh, 1912 to 1933 this was our military went into other territories uh, on that one. Uh, it, man, 1910 to 1912, then again, 1925 to 1927, 1933, it'd pop up again during the Reagan administration. 449 people, the Mexican Revolution, uh, which spilled over to us. We had five uh, 
hundred involved in that. The occupation of Haiti. Uh, our Marines went into Port-au-Prince, Haiti, uh, and literally uh, because Haiti was just freaking out of control and corrupt, Woodrow Wilson sent people in to try to help control uh, Haiti's political and financial because people were being destroyed in Haiti. So America attempted to help them out between 1915 and 1934. There was 100 or 35, 184 uh, casualties of that particular one. Haiti, uh, and of course, Haiti still went to hell in a handbasket until Hillary Clinton and them decided to save them. Uh, yeah, right. There was the North Russia campaign, uh, known, or the, you could call it the North Russia intervention or the Archangel campaign and the Merman deployment. And it was the Allied intervention in the Russian Civil War that's known as the October Revolution, uh, where stuff was going on between 1918 and 1920, 424 casualties that. Then there was the American Expeditionary Forces to Siberia. And this was kind of involved with the Russian Civil War uh, and Vladivostok, Russia. This was after the October Re uh, Revolution, 1812, uh, excuse me, 1918 to 1920. Uh, but we had a larger American force then. There was 380. Most people don't know how many different times we had issues with China. Uh, during this time, we only lost about 83 people. You've heard me name a few. But between 1918 and 1921, 1926, 1927, 1930, and 1937, we lost 83 people. But we've always been at it with China. Of course, then there's the World War II. Then there is the Greek Civil War. That is where Greek was trying to fight for its uh, independence. And what happened is for that time, the, the losing opposition were, were communists trying to take over Greece. And they just wouldn't accept that the people didn't want to be communism. And so the Greek Civil War started. That was 1944 to 1949. We had nine people involved, casualties of that one to try to help Greece and help Greece not become a communist. Then there was 1945, 1950. There was at that time a Chinese civil war. Uh, Kuomintang led government of the Republic of China were fighting the Chinese Communist Party. It lasted through uh, intermittently from 1927 uh, on it was being fought. We got engaged in 1945 through 50. 215 people were involved there. There's the Berlin blockade. This was probably one of our first uh, major international crises during the Cold War. Uh, it was a multinational outpost during World War II where Germany, Soviet Union, the Western Allies were trying to block the uh, ingress and access of the canal in Berlin, where the wall and everything was. 31 people involved in that. We've talked about the Korean War. Uh, 7,564, the USSR Cold War. Uh, this was skirmishes, intermittent actions during the Cold War from 1922 to 1921. 16 people involved in that Vietnam War, you know, 1584. We lost a lot of people, 211,454, 200, uh, 211, really all total. There's some discrepancies about casualties and everything else. There was the 1958 Lebanon crisis. Uh, many of the greatest people in my life that I love to this day came to the United States because of that. It was uh, political and religious tensions in Lebanon with them killing each other over. 
whether you were Muslim, going to be Muslim or whether you're going to be Christian. We participated in that to make sure they weren't killing Christians. About seven people involved in that. We, we had 25 involved in the Bay of Pigs. You know, this was Cuba right off the coast of Florida, 1961. And it was when Cuban exiles were trying to make sure that Fidel Castro uh, didn't take over Cuba, which happened. Um, we failed. We, we didn't do that. And then we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. There's 20 involved in that. That was in 1962. Uh, it was called the Missile Scare. It was a 35 conf uh, day confrontation. We had another Dominion of Public uh, War, which was the Dominican Civil War. We helped out. It was called the April Revolution, April 24th, 1965, September 3rd, 1965. And it was when civilian and military uh wanted to overthrow a democratically elected president it went backwards democracy was there military did a coup convinced the people government bad of a of one that was elected by the people and literally they came in 320 uh, uh casualties of that 330 um but of course that country today is hard times there was the uss liberty incident uh, this was an attack on a Navy technical uh, research ship. Ironically enough, just so you know, uh, the USS Liberty was attacked by an Israeli Air Force fighter and fighter jet fighter and uh, Navy motor uh, Israeli Navy motor torpedoes. This was on the 8th of June, 1967. It was during the Six Day War. Um, it killed uh, 34 crew members, wounded 117, 205 total. Uh, but that's uh, an issue with Israel. There's the Orion War. There were, were 12 in Iran. That was the November 4th, 1979 incident uh, when the Muslim uh, student followers of the Iman's line took over the, started for the Embassy Revolution. There was the El Salvador Civil War, 1980 to 1992. That was a 12-year period of their civil war. We were involved in that. For the Furabundo Marti, FMLN war, left wing group. Uh, 72 people involved in that. There was our Beirut deployment. You know about that one, National Force in Lebanon. Uh, was in eight, uh, 1982 following uh, the 1981 US ceasefire between. Uh, the PLO, Palestine Liberation uh, Organization, and Lebanon to try to end their uh, skirmish because Lebanon was working with us, 435 in that. There, at times between 1987 and 1988, some of our escorts, meaning where we're escorting uh, Kuwaiti oil tankers, we're protecting them against Iranian attacks. That was 1987, 1988, three years into the tanker phrase uh, of the Iranian uh, war it was the largest NATO convoy by the way since operation since world war ii 100 in that opera invasion of grenada uh, at the time my sister-in-law was the first female deployed in combat in grenada uh, that was october 25th 1983 that was the united states and six uh caribbean nations uh invading the island of grenada about you know it's north of uh of um Venezuela, right? Codename Operation uh, Insurgent Fury, 138, 138 in that. The 1986 bombing in Li Libya claimed one. The invasion of 
Panama. Most people didn't know that. United States invasion of Panama, codename Operation Just Cause, lasted only about a month, uh, mid-December 1989, late January 1990. Uh, and it was after some treaties were transferred because there was a, a huge issue with Panama Canal. If it was to be controlled, uh, it could hurt the U.S., 334 in that to free it, only to have Bill Clinton sell it to China during his administration. Gulf War, um, you know, we did that through 90 and 91, 35 countries. It, through those, we had one called uh, Operation Provide Comfort and Provide Comfort 2, uh, 23 there. We had some Somalian skirmishes in there. That was a United Task Force that we participated with, with U.S. Uh, NATO sanctioned stuff, 196 there. 94, 95, we were in Haiti. Uh, to try to uh, uh, suppress their coup d'etat, seven there. Colombia, the same. It kind of can the Colombian conflict still goes on today. Most of it, uh, far left guerrilla groups, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of uh, Colombia, you probably heard of the FARC, uh, and Biden just FARC that up. You can look that up, but won't go into it. The Bosnian War of 1992 through 1995, um, and it was a bunch of violent incidents again. Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, you heard of it, Muslims killing Christians, Christians killing Muslims, 12 in that. The Kosovo War, same thing, uh, February 9, uh, 1998, lasted till 11th of June 1999. Uh, Albanian rebel, rebels, the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, most people don't realize a lot of this was Muslim-Christian conflicts killing each other. The war in Afghanistan, 2001 through 21, 22,000 lives. Iraqi war, 36,710 lives. Uh, there was an intervention against the Islamic state of Iraq and, 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 and Syria. That kind of goes on right now. It's claimed 157. And then there is, in 2017, the raid on Yemen. Same thing. You remember that uh, uh, issue we had there. It was during the Yemen civil war. Uh, going on for there. Most people just don't know how many times it, and you're right, uh, uh, Marky Mark, Biden just took FARC off the uh, terrorist list, and they are a terrorist organization, and so Biden just took them off, get ready for shit to happen in South America. It's going to come very, very close to us, right? I can't name name them all, but there's always been reasons. There's always been conflicts. Uh, it's just nuts. It's just uh, nuts at times. Um, everybody wants to not fight. Uh, the Korean War, I think there were 33,686. Let me make sure I got the categories that died in combat. Uh, there were, hmm, let's see, 10,708 that died. Others, uh, total casualties, 211,454, 153,353 of those uh, were wounded, were wounds. Okay. And then there's, they're still missing. I'm, I'm uh, you know, we don't hear about this. Did you as a, a kid wear the little bracelet, uh, you know, the POWs and missing? There are still to this day, 1,584 American soldiers missing, uh, unclaimed for during uh, the Vietnam conflict. There's, uh, you know, these numbers can always be contested and stuff, but 
Trump was the one to have no wars. War is a big business. Um, most of the time America has gone in is just to help be stable. We didn't take over France. We liberated France and then we rebuilt it. We didn't take over the UK or, or Germany or any of that. We liberated them, gave them back their countries, helped them rebuild it. And that's why I have this big conflict with people saying uh, America. Um, Carla Maxwell says she had mine in her dresser. My brothers came home. How awesome is that? That's wonderful. Um, yeah, Trump is fighting an invisible war that we are in World War III right now. It's a digital war. Um, the reason all of this has to be talked about. The reason all of this has to be talked about is because if you don't understand the conflicts, yeah, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree, Tony Orlando and Don. Um, then you can't understand what we've been through. I know when you hear about Native Americans, you kind of cringe a bit. But what most people don't know about their history is there were two big wipeout events of the natives in America. One, ironically, about the year 1000, uh, and when the Chinese brought uh, smallpox as a weapon to what you now know as the United States of America, walk, walk, wiped out probably at that time 40% of the native population of the United States. We had massively surviving cultures here. Um, you would, not what you think Indians today, that was not what the American culture was. And so you had a massive extinction event of people in the United States back then. Then, before Christopher Columbus, uh, explorers got here. You never hear about it in schools because they beat Christopher Columbus. And, of course, Christopher Columbus was sanctioned by the church, and Spain wanted credit, blah, 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 blah. That's how they ended up owning, you know, the different parts of the United States and these treaties. They owned it. Well, you don't hear about what really happened back then. But at that time, uh, when they came to the States, they brought disease with them. And the disease that hit the United States then is estimated to have killed 60 million people. Call them natives, 60 million people decimated. Our coastlines used to be filled with tribes, right? We call them tribes, and I use that term wrong. These were thriving cities. They built different than us. Yeah, thriving cities, trade, culture, and everything else. Um, it happens when cultures and come, but it wiped out millions and millions. And so what you what you see in the United States of America that we now refer to as Indians or Native Americans, I want you to understand you're only seeing the remnants. The remnants, why it all broke up to the way where, you know, you know, the Apaches and the Crow and all this other stuff. You got to think of that as 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 Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. America had already been decimated with disease from foreigners. 
and it went through two major extinction level events. The first one at the hands of uh, technically the Chinese, and that was on purpose. That one's not talked about in history, but it was a young prince that came to the United States of America, uh, knew, they, knew it was here. That's, again, another hidden secret of the world. Decided he was going to conquer it and all these great cultures here to make his father proud. He unleashed smallpox. They carried it with them. They carried people that had smallpox. And they unleashed it in the tribes and just decimated all across uh, what you know as Montana, Wyoming, Missouri, all this, all this stuff. When his father came back, his father did the right thing. When his son was bragging, he literally executed his son for doing that and killing a great noble people. And from that time on, it was forever not mentioned about in history. It's not talked about in American history because you don't want a uh, Chinese claim on American sovereignty going back to that time. That's why it's not talked about. And then the same thing for initial explorers that decimated 60, 70 million people. Um, in what is now known as the United States, it's ignored, it's not talked about, um, simply because that would give uh, higher hierarchy claims to ownership of the United States of America, which Spain perfected. A lot of these things get hidden for those reasons, but that is where you found what we've come to know today. It's why you hear that America was empty Nobody was there. We can't believe this continent's empty. Well, it truly was compared to what it had been. But there was culture all over the place. Our historians adore it with their butt wipes. Um, but that's why you kind of get this reputation. Why was American empty? How could you just do that? Because what was left in America at that time was a remnant society. The Mad Maxes of the world, all of these little bands just trying to survive, raiding on each other, hating on each other, because they're just trying to survive. And that's why you have the fierce Indian versus noble savage kind of thing going on, because that's what was going on. It was Mad Max. It was end times in the United States of America, what would become the United States of America at that time. And there it is. History not talked about. History you probably have never heard. Um the bullshit you're taught in school versus what's really real. And so in that triangulation of unique opportunity, which was done by the church, yes, it was opportunity and whatever, but it wasn't run out all these people or whatever. It was a people who were fighting for their lives and resources and people that came to a continent that had been decimated. Same thing, you know, why did Mexico get desiccated? You have, you have to remember this. Where did the people of Teoyacon go? Right. What happened uh, in Mexico? Where did all those people vanish? It was all the same event all up and down. North and South America was disease. Therefore, it looked like. An empty continent, but this is why we've lost so much of our history, but you have to understand. And the reason I tell you this part is that gets to the root of why the hell are they fighting Native Americans and whatever? Or why are these countries doing it? It's because there were people here, and now we live in a society that you can't, and I agree with it, you can't let China have a foothold because they can prove they were here, right? There's all kinds of artifacts, all kinds of stuff. We can do it another another thing, but you can't let that claim be perfected because you don't want to say 
Okay, it was China's first. Do you understand? So this is an issue of manifest destiny. Look it up on your own. Blah, 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 blah. It's always been politics, always been people, always been disease, always been fighting for resources. But to build what we have today, which is the greatest nation in the world, I believe, greatest place to be, uh, why uh, 160 countries are on our borders every day trying to get in. Dave, that's funny. Dave says, shit, I lost my Roman coin walking to school in South Carolina. Dang, was that you? You idiot. Why are you carrying that 2,000-year-old coin in that pair of pants with jeans? If you followed my stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, America is a resurrection. America is, I always tell everybody, we are Mad Max's kids. We are the great resurrection. America was the one that did it right. It was people fleeing oppression. And people fleeing oppression did it, and they worked together, and everybody worked together and worked their ass off and built a great country that works over all other countries. And now all those other countries that hated what we did are now working in this greatest cabal to try to take it back over. Anyway, that's it. I could keep on going on the ancient history of it. But I, I hope this was meaningful in some way. I hope it gives you some context. Um, and our men and women who have fought, most of that fighting is just to protect our way of life, uh, which should be protected. And we're back to where others want to control us. It's coming back to a socialist communist thing. It's come around full cycle. And here we are again, having to fight for a life, literally literally, and there's so much history hidden from, you know, more black people had slaves than white people. You only hear about the crap. That's the political engine and process. And it's always been political and it's always going to have a spin. And that's why you think the civil war was over slaves. And that's why you think everybody in the, uh, uh, had slaves. And so Mary, thank you. Tell the husband have a great, uh, birthday. Thank you very much. Y'all have a great day. This evening, when you join me in tonight's broadcast, I will be back on on Locals uh, here. Give me a little bit. I got a little more finishing up to do on some things. I'm going to go back over it uh, with you. Uh, then this evening, we're going to be talking about uh, how the mules were busted, how it started, how everybody got the clues of what's going on. Uh, those are going to be my guests this evening, so make sure you join me at 7 o'clock. Uh, I will do shows tomorrow. I might, I might not do a morning show. I'll probably maybe run a rerun just cause I want to get one morning of sleep in if I can, I, but I feel guilty when I do that, but yeah, I will do shows tomorrow evening, um, as well. Right. So y'all have a great day. Thank you so very much. Please share this. Don't forget. People have fought hard for this country. People in your family have given their blood for this country. Uh, we need to honor them. Y'all have a great day. Have great food. Love you all. See you later. Bye-bye. Most people are afraid to stand up and speak out, but not you. 
You've been learning how to tell the system to cut the crap. What can I do to help save the America I love? And the answer is, learn how to fight back and tell the system to cut the crap. Cut the crap's not just a radio program, it's a movement. The right kind of movement, which breaks free the conservative constipation and reminds you that you are the majority, and we're just not going to take it anymore. Make sure you're following Joe Bon Hunt and Pulitzer on all social media. See you next week, and between now and then, take a stand and tell them all to cut the crap. Hey there, think of all those people who mocked you for being a conspiracy theorist. Are you ready to become the smartest patriot in the room? Well, now's your chance to join me on Local. It's exclusive. It's a free trial membership where you can use to determine if my work, my insight, my content, and what I do to educate you to fight this fight for our country is worth it. And this is a whopping $4.16 decision since that's what the membership is with an annual subscription. Now, you have to decide if $4.16 a month is worth becoming the smartest patriot in the room. So are you willing to spend $4.16 to gain the knowledge and insight it takes to make sure your country and our way of life survives? Is $4.16 even worth being able to prove to your family, friends, and coworkers that you're not some whacked conspiracy theorist? Is $4.16 worth spending on your education to fight this fight, but to also know you can do it where you can share the truth and talk about the truth, so help us God, and not get banned. If you- but you know what? If we lost the election, we know when we lose. If I lost the election, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Seriously. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we got to get those routers, please. Get up. Routers. Come on, Kelly, we can get those routers. Those routers. Wow. If you got those routers, what that will show. And they don't want to give up the routers. They are fighting like hell. Why are these commissioners fighting not to give the routers? How simple could it be? That will tell the truth. And they don't want to give up the routers. What are they trying to hide? And I say it, and I'll say it, because the easiest way of cheating is to throw them away. That's easier. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. It's so ridiculous. I'll be honest, though. Look, we all like to win. If I lost this election, I could handle it pretty easily. Run in 24, sir. You're gonna win. And I say, wait a minute. I just won six months ago. The big lie, they call it. Those trends are unproven. And knowing what happened in the election is a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The county has refused to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. If you think about cancel, everything about cancel culture, they want cancel culture. But what they don't want to do is anything having to do with the 2020 election. We have no press. We have no voice. They almost got away with it. They may have gotten away with it. And I've got to tell you, I've got to say this. I've never said it before, but I've always thought it. I get along with Putin because that's a good thing, not a bad thing. The county has refused to.
to produce the network routers. We want the routers, Sonny. The county refused to produce the network routers. Wendy, we gotta get those routers, please. Get up! Get up! <laughs> 